Today, we are covering blunders in the business world. We're not just talking about a mere mistake. It's a matter of cost and time. To me, a blunder in business can result in substantial liability or exposure or cost or time. That's when the target on your back gets a lot bigger. Don't do it. This is Legally Sound Smart Business, where your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub, cover business in the news and add their awesome legal twist. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast brought to you by Pasha Law PC, a law firm representing your business in California, Illinois, New York, and Texas. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. All right, welcome to our podcast. Today we are covering blunders in the business world. Uh, This is where businesses make huge mistakes, blunders, if you will, that can really cost their business in more ways than one. Yeah. And I I didn't tell you about this beforehand, but I actually reached out to Bob Saget to see if we could have our own separate episode of uh, Bob Saget, top top blunders. That's bloopers. Oh, that's not. (laughs) You mean America's funniest on videos. Yeah. I mean, to, uh, I guess that's a that's to me that's a form of blunders, but maybe you disagree. Well, I would say it's just as entertaining. I mean, I think well, maybe from a from our perspective, uh, perhaps our clients or other businesses may not agree. But uh, I think uh, if we had everything on recording, I guess we're well, we have it recording now. We could talk about it and submit this tape to to Bob. What about that? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think it's been like two decades since the show's been aired, but. You know, I, they actually might have brought it back recently. Yeah, it's called YouTube. Okay, <laughs> that is true. You're right. That is what it is. I think that's uh, that's cannibalized the uh, entire blooper industry. I think at this point. Right. So, so we're talking about blunders. I, I do. I do want to make a distinction of what we're talking about here because uh, I don't. Matt, do you play chess by chance? I can. Okay. Well, I guess that that's a yes. Um, so anyway, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible at chess, but I play a lot of chess. Okay. And, and in fact, every time I talk about it with people, people keep asking me, Hey, have you, um, have you watched Queens Gambit? And I'm and I, for the months I've been saying no. And I, I finally watched it, but I don't know why I went to that anyway. So in chess, there's a difference between a blunder and a mistake and an inaccuracy. These are all kind of terms of art in the chess world. And I think it applies here in the sense that we're not just talking about a mere mistake. A mistake in chess is where you make a bad move. Uh, of all the good moves and best moves out there, you make the one that's not good. A blunder is one where you, not only is it a bad move, but somehow you lose some major position or you lose a piece even, or even sacrifice the game possibly and actually uh, cause a loss. That's a blunder. And to me, a blunder in business can result in substantial liability or exposure or cost or time. And these are things that um, are not just a mistake, but really need to be avoided at all costs. No, I, I think that's a good clarification. It's, you know, a mistake is maybe misreading a word in a contract, right? A blunder right. is something that's completely not, you know, something that's undiscovered. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it was looked at, maybe it wasn't. But it can Avoidable. submarine everything. 
like you said, right. it's 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 just it's a matter of cost and time. It's both of those, and that's what that's where the blender is going to be, and and completely avoidable. These are things that really, with enough diligence, and I think that's the theme. That's going to be the theme of the episode is with enough diligence. There's no reason you guys should be making this mistake. So that's why we're going to go over it. These are blunders that, even though they're avoidable, we see them all the time, and um, we have about five of them. So let's let's uh, get right into it with blunder number one, or should I do, should I count down five, four, three, two, one, or no? Well, we didn't rank them. Uh, maybe we can rank them at the end. I don't, I don't think there's any, in any particular order. Yeah, we won't. So, but blunder one. So this is where, this is where you are a, you're entering into a transaction and you need to find an agreement. And this agreement could be something that you find on the internet. It could be something that maybe even a, an attorney prepared for you prior. But what you do is you copy and paste it for your suit and start using it for that transaction. That could result in a major blunder. Don't do it. Right. You know, I don't. I can't count the number of times we've seen this, but it's like you said. It's it's one of two things. Typically, it's either something that was prepared by an attorney, maybe your attorney, maybe somebody else's that was just shared with you, or you're just pulling something offline. And sometimes that's fine. Sometimes it can work, but. I mean, to me, there's always going to be at least one, most likely multiple provisions in there that aren't going to be applicable to what you're trying to do and meet your objective. So it's, you know, you can't just do that and sight unseen passed along because you really have to go line by line, which nobody wants to do. That's that's what we have to do, um, you know, to make sure that it does meet the needs that you're trying to accomplish. And most of the time it doesn't work. Um Right. We, I remember we, we had a we had a client that um, actually took a PPM and copied and pasted it, you know, to suit. Uh, and uh, to give some background, a PPM is a it stands for private placement memorandum. It is a pretty relatively thick document. Um, it's understandable why someone would want to copy and paste that thing because there's a lot of time that goes into it from a legal perspective, and it's expensive. But People tend to think that this is all like boilerplate and template and so forth. And it's not to say that attorneys don't use templates. Of course they do. But I think many people would be surprised of how much subtlety are in those templates from, from case to case in the sense that like uh, most attorneys uh, you know, will actually read the entire contract every single time they use the same template. Because again, unless, they're, unless it's like they know that exactly th this situation applies appropriately it's just it's too much too risky to not go through that and um and let's just say this is that we were able in, in that particular situation i don't know if you remember this matt we we, we caught it in time uh, in a sense we were able to amend kind of the provisions that we could and unfortunately like once they once they publish it like you have to do a formal amendment and if you're amending a partnership agreement or something like that where people have already subscribed, it's actually quite cumbersome to do that. And so, um, yeah, don't do that ever, please. Right. And yeah, I, th I think that's the big thing is you look at a, you look at an agreement, it looks fine, but you don't know what kind of intricacies have been added or removed from that agreement. I mean, if it's, if it's a template that you or I have created, we have some familiarity with it, but if you're coming in cold, it's, there's, there's going to be something in there where you're just not going to know, you know, 
something might have slipped in or something might have been removed that you want to have in. It's it's just not a good. It, it, it is a starting point, I suppose, but it's not a it's not an ending point. Right. So what should they do instead? Um, besides hire an attorney, I think at the least read every single line. I mean, it, it sounds obvious. Again, a lot of these you know blunders are again avoidable, but you have to actually read every single line. And if you don't understand it, then you probably shouldn't be using it and should probably get some help. Right. I mean, we, and we've seen the, we've been on the opposite side of that many times, or I guess the, the after the fact side of it many times where, you know, it's, it's like, oh, we have this issue, this dispute, uh, send us a contract. It's like, yeah, I never really looked at it. Here it is. And you know, at that point, there's not much that can be done. You just try to try to do your best to, to resolve it in their favor. Right. So blunder number two, I like this one because I, I think it's, uh, it's something, again, I see all the time, easily avoidable. And sometimes it's a little funny when it happens, uh, in a, and maybe in a sick way. Because what it is is basically you create a brand, you don't do any trademark search or even kind of a Google search, and then you realize after you've put all this money into a brand, you get some kind of cease and desist letter saying, hey, you're infringing on our trademark. Um, again, like in a sick way, it's a little funny. It's like you, you've spent all this time and money, but if you would have just took maybe a few minutes in the beginning to make sure that the brand was actually trademarkable or unique, uh, that it wouldn't infringe on another mark that you could have still be using it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's 2021, uh, at this point, it's pretty difficult to come up with any sort of unique brand. So you, know, you, have, you have the person that, that falls asleep and dreams of some brand name, whatever the name is, and they wake up and they said, we, I have, I have exactly what I need and they're going to go with it. Well, I mean, most likely at this point, it's probably something that's already taken, but step one, like you said, should be just, just, I mean, step one is a basic search in Google or whatever search engine, just type it in and something should surface up right there. I mean, that's not the end all be all from a trademark standpoint. You need to do a, a full on search with the USPTO, but to me, that's step one, just to see if it's is something being used in any capacity. And I, what, what I also like to do is uh, do a URL search to see if the URL is taken. Because if it's not, domain, that's yeah. usually, usually a pretty good sign that it's that's a, it's a good brand. Because it's not, you know, at this point, someone would have got it by now. But, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. It's funny that you mentioned like it's hard to come up with something unique because I remember we had that um, one client that came to us. Um, they were how do I put this? Uh, they they were in real estate. We'll put it. We'll, we'll we'll leave it at that. And they they had a name for their brand that you know I thought was pretty unique, but uh, of course the, as the story goes, we're mentioning it. They received a, a not only a cease and desist letter, but for another brand that from another brand that in the exact same industry with the exact same name on the other side of the country. And, yeah. and it's like, and, and unfortunately, like our client was actually pretty successful versus compared, and, you know, it's relative compared to um, this other company on, on the other side of the country. And so it's like, man, it's, uh, you know, you, you spent all this money now, 
because that other party had, I think, did, did they trademark? Did they did the other party had a trademark or not? I can't remember. Yeah, so I mean, it was it was worst case scenario because the other party had trademarked it. Their first use was prior to the to okay, our clients. Yeah. And yeah, our that's client, worst case had, I think our client had even dumped in a lot of money in marketing. So it's like, I mean, <laughs> it was a there was a, it was a no win situation uh, for sure. Right, and there are solutions to that. Um, I, I don't even remember what we did in that situation, but you know there are solutions besides rebranding. Um, but sometimes you don't have a choice, um, and now all the money that you spent on the on a brand that most business owners, you know, they've fallen in love with their their brand. They don't want to go back, especially if it's they've had success, uh, you know, success and reputation from it. So that's a big blunder. Avoid right. that. And and like you said, it's you know, it's. It's a, it definitely is a blunder, but it's it's a preventable one. Um, you know, I think in, in in the scenario that we were talking about, if if they would have come to us beforehand at the beginning and said they were trying to build this whole thing around a brand, we would have done a search and looked into it, and we would have uncovered this other company that was doing essentially the exact same thing with the exact same name. So, you know, it's it's I get the the point is you can't just blindly you know, pick something and just go with it, run with it and hope that it, everything works out because it's all, once you become successful, like in this case with, with our client, they did, that's when the target on your back, gets a lot bigger. Yeah. And that, of course, and that's how they found them, of course, right? Because yep. they started yep. to be get successful. Um, what to do instead there, there is a site, I, I have a bookmark and I'm going to have, we're going to have to put it in the show notes, but, uh, I like directing people to that because it not only searches the USPTO uh, data, database, but also other databases as well, and it's faster and easier to use. USPTO's website is very, um, unless you're used to it, uh, is actually not as intuitive as you may think. There is some basic searches that are that are that are um, available to you, but if you don't have a trademark attorney or your your counsel to kind of go through it with you. Of course, like all the answers to these blunders is, hey, seek legal counsel. But um, in case you don't, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll post this website. Um, I, I just can't remember what it is, but um, it, it basically searches all the marks world, worldwide and see if there's anything similar to what you have in mind as well. Yeah, definitely. It's, a, it's a, at least a good starting point, uh, a short fix. All right, blunder number three misclassification of the workforce. Now, if you've been following us and listening to our podcast, which I think most of you have been this past, I don't know, it's been like 50 years since we've been doing this or seven or so. Um, and if you, if, so if, you, if you've been listening, you know that misclassification of a workforce is a recurring theme um, because it just comes up so often. And what, what do we mean by that? We mean you're classifying an employee as an independent contractor, or you're classifying an exempt employee, or I should say a non-exempt employee as an exempt employee. These blunders have huge ramifications, and especially if you have a lot of, if your workforce is big, and you make your that mistake over and over again with multiple people, then the repercussions are that much bigger as well. Yeah, I think of all the blunders we've talked about today, this is probably the most prevalent one. Um, it's very, very commonplace. I think it happens pretty frequently. Now, I would, I would even go out to say that we could. I mean, you can. We can even advise 
companies that they shouldn't do this and they're still going to do it, which arguably is a worse blunder. But um, yeah, I mean, it's the reason behind it is you have somebody, you bring somebody on the team, they should be an employee. Everything points to them being an employee and the company wants to make them an independent contractor because it's easier and it's cheaper, which is fine until it comes back the other way and they bring some sort of claim that they should have been an employee and then it opens up a whole gambit of of things you have to deal with so uh like i said it's it's a blunder that you know i think many a lot of companies have experienced um just you know but when you hit the the wrath of it that's when it becomes the problem right but i do think this is a blunder in which people are definitely learning i feel like the amount of issues that we used to deal with this before is not as much as it uh, is now. And I think in mm-hmm. part that has to do with, uh, besides just general education and, and on this particular topic, probably mostly due to our podcast and our educational um, resources that we've been providing to the public. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, but besides that, also like uh, like companies like Uber and Lyft have really brought this issue to the forefront. And it's precisely why in California they changed the law and then you know propos- the proposition uh, passed to reverse some of the law as to how you classify independent contractors versus employees. And so it used to be this really wide gray area, but in some states like California, now that gray area is really razor thin to the extent that it's much more clear as to which side of the fence uh, your workers are at. Right. I mean, and you know, there's there's federal law, obviously, but it is a very state by state issue. Like you mentioned, California being probably the most aggressive in that sense of it's almost impossible to to classify somebody as an independent contractor these days. Um, but like you said, too, Uber, Uber and Lyft, uh, they they've been the ones driving this. No pun intended. Uh, you know, just just trying <laughs> to get the whole misclassification issue. Um, you know, in in their favor, but yeah, it's. I think I think we've definitely seen in the last, like you said, we've we've seen this from a lot of our clients. But in the last five years or so, there's definitely been a lot less uh, conversation about it because companies have just been kind of going towards the the safety, the precautionary side, and say, look, if if it's kind of a a middle of the ground decision, let's just make them an employee, not have to deal with it not even have to worry about it. And I, I think that's definitely a trend that's been happening the last however many years. And you know, whether that's good or bad, it's, you know, I guess it's up to the business, but um, it, it is still a very big issue because we, we still see it quite a bit. Yeah. I, I remember this was such an issue for us that we would actually uh, keep track of the numbers with clients. Like as soon as, so first of all, as soon as we had a new onboarding client, um, whether we're offering our general counsel services through Pasha Law Select or through some kind of uh, limited scope model, we would check to see what kind of, what's their workforce like and how they're classified. This would be the first one of the first things that we would do. And then we would also record the results. And um, I think at one point when we were tracked for about two years or so, a majority of our new on new clients had misclassification issues. I think it was something at it like six out of uh, I think that came down to the statistics, six out of nine or something like that. I guess that would be two thirds, but um, something something to that effect. But uh, but it's just incredible that so many of these clients had issues because they weren't advised properly or they didn't think to ask the question or they were kind of forcing it because some of this law was not as intuitive as maybe some people may think. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, and again, it's, I, I don't know if it was a, a lot of times it's not even intentional. Sometimes it is, but it's just, uh, you know, it's like, look, I, I understand the cost that comes with having an employee. I don't want to go that route. The person is, you know, how many times have we had this conversation? Oh, the person is fine with being an independent contractor. They, they actually want, they prefer that. It's like, well, it's, it's all good and great, but until they don't. Yeah, exactly. It's, that's, that's always the conversation is, uh, yeah, whenever you get rid of them or whatever, whatever it may be, that's when it becomes the issue. And, you know, I can't even, I, I, like I said, I've lost track of how many times I've had that conversation. And, you know, most of the time we've been pretty fortunate, I guess, with, with clients. But yeah, it's, yeah, like you said, it's, and it's good and, until it's not. And the easiest solution for this is you can always err on the side of classifying them as employees. Um, there's an additional cost to it. Um, but from a risk management perspective, that's the, that's the side that you go. And same with, uh, whether they're exempt or not exempt, you assume that they're not exempt unless proven otherwise. Um, so again, besides again, seeking legal counsel to help you on this, because some of the, some of this can be really complicated. Uh, just depends on the scenario. Right. No, it's, uh, and that's, unfortunately that's the advice it's, and that's the same advice that I give too. It's, you know, if you can, if you're able to foot the bill on making them employee, that's, you know, if, if it's a questionable decision, that's the easiest route because it's the, the path of least resistance from a legal perspective. Right. Okay. Blunder number four, four out of five. We have two more to go. Let's just take a break here just to reflect about the universe and the different blunders that exist. But number four, I think is a uh, interesting one where, well, they're all interesting, but I, in, in, this is unique in the sense that people definitely make efforts to avoid this blunder, but always seem to fall short. And what I mean by this is when you have a new business with multiple partners, you got to get your the terms between the partnership, whether it's a, however the entity is formed, whether it's a corporation or LLC, you have to get that in writing and don't do blunder number one where you're copying and pasting another operating agreement. Spend some time to get it done correctly. And what I mean by people make efforts to do this but fall short is for some reason, and Matt, you see this too, right? For some reason, how many times have we had scenarios where uh, clients will come to us and they'll say, oh yeah, our, our deal is we're 50-50 or 60-40 or whatever, and we had some agreements, but we never signed them. I don't know why that is. Like they, they, they spent all this time getting the agreements done, but for some reason, they, they avoid the confrontation or the, avoid the being direct with each other to just sign the documents. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you're right. It is, and I do find it odd. Maybe it's because we're attorneys and we would think if you had something prepared and everyone agreed to it, everyone agreed to the terms, you would just sign it. But um, there's been many instances where that's not the case. You know, with these, it's it's a scenario where every I think everybody or a lot of people have just been like, "Well, you know, I want to start this business with somebody. We're on good terms. Just start it up, kind of informally. Even if you get going, start making money, everything's good." But like you said, if if there's nothing written in place, at some point there's going to be some sort of dispute. Could be big, could be small, doesn't matter. 
Because um, when there's a dispute, there needs to be something that needs to be looked to. And if there's no signed agreement in place, for example, a partnership agreement, LLC, you know, operating agreement, bylaws, et cetera, then what are you supposed to do? It becomes a huge ordeal. It's, it's much easier when there's a dispute if you can look to something in writing and say, look, this is what governs and this is how we're going to decide this issue, which unfortunately we've, we've dealt with this many times. That's not always the case. And, and it's, and it's, I think it's very common when the closer you are with your partner, it's almost as if the less likely you're going to get it in writing. Yep. And, and, and though, you know, look, we're human too, despite what people think about lawyers. Um, and especially our firm, we're very big on relationships, about trust, about the kind of looking into eye, eye to eye with somebody and, and, and making a deal. To me, it's, that's important. And whatever is in writing is not going to protect you from someone that is not honest or out, out to get you, right? True. So, okay. true. so relationship, relationships are, are important. But it's also part of just forcing the conversations that need to be done in order to contemplate these different scenarios that really just should be addressed in the beginning before it's an issue. So one thing that we'd like to advise, um, in fact, we'll also link this to our uh, our show notes here today. Uh, we, we we wrote our article. It's like it's it's an old article now. I mean, it's it's not outdated, but it's kind of held true a little bit. It's a list of things that you as partners have to talk about in order to draft up your operating agreement in this case in an LLC, and it forces you to have the conversation like, okay, what if you need more capital? Are people required to put capital in, um, or are they not? What happens if not everyone puts in their fair share? Uh, what happens if one of the partners passes away? Um, what if one of the partners wants out? These kinds of questions are, again, relatively basic. It's a blunder, easily avoid avoidable. But uh, we often just have our clients, hey, go through this list, have the conversation, come back to us, and we'll draft it for you, right? Um, but you need to have these conversations, and we can we facilitate sometimes as well. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's good to have those things agreed to beforehand, um, because, like I said, if if there's any sort of argument or dispute, at least you have something to look to. Would you rather have the the so if you had two so if we had a client two uh, two partners, would you would you rather have blender number four or blender number one? In terms of, oh. would you rather nothing in place or uh, an agreement that was just stripped from somewhere else, and that's what they've agreed to? Hmm, that's actually a, so. Yeah, I think blunder number one, because uh, because my assumption is that they copied some kind of agreement that has some basic terms, and then even if they didn't think about it, at least it's something that we can fall back to. And if for some reason neither party likes it, they can always agree to, you know, to change it or all the parties, I should say, if there's more than two. That was what my would you say? Yeah, no, that was, that was my answer as well. Well, you didn't write it down, so I don't know if I believe you. That's true. All right. Well, uh, blunder. So that was blunder number four, if you're keeping track. Um, I'm not, so I hope you are. Uh, blunder number five. Now, this is a good callback to our previous episode about how to fire an employee. And a, a, a blunder that we actually referenced in that episode was lacking documentation, 
especially when you're terminating for performance reasons. Um, this is something that I think it's hard to do because I think especially in um, in, in what what the perceived culture of what how a workplace should be, people tend to think that because maybe for legal reasons, it's like they kind of uh, step on, uh, what's the word? Uh, step on tippy toes. Is that the right phrase with each other? I don't know. Matt? Maybe. Okay, great. Okay, well, they're they're very they, people think because they're concerned about even getting sued or the kind of the environment that we're in, they try to be very sensitive to everybody's um, you know everybody's kind of sensitivities. Which there's nothing wrong with that, but when it comes to performance, it's incredibly important to give direct, constructive feedback, both positive and negative, and not only that, document it. And so that combination of things. Sometimes if you don't have that and you terminate, it can really backfire in a huge way. I think you were talking about stepping on eggshells, maybe, is the uh, the phrase. But Eggshells? Um, isn't that or right? tiptoeing around? I don't know. I, we need, a, we a need some kind phrase. of expert. Either way, a, I mean, either way, you're, you're right. It's, uh, you know, how many times have we had the, the conversation with a client of, Look, I I, I want to terminate this employee for non for poor performance. Okay, that's fine. Most states are at will. Um, it's like, all right, what do you have? Have you had any conversations with them? Oh yeah, plenty. W what's documented? Nothing. Okay, well that's not ideal because if if you have an you know the terminated employee, if they decide to file some sort of wrongful termination lawsuit or what have you. The first thing they're going to ask for is, you know, give me my performance reviews. And if you have, if you have nothing in place, then it becomes a, an issue. And that's something you have to deal with. So I think we've always said it's, you know, be on the, do everything on the front front end so you don't have to worry about it on the back end. Right. Oh, yeah. So, th so this happens all the time. Uh, I, in fact, to be honest, I, I think... There's there's very few clients that do does this completely perfectly, um, because there's always room for improvement in this area. So, at the least, there should be some kind of annual performance review, and at that review, you need to be honest. And this is a key factor too. And this is kind of blunder five point or five A or five B, and that is is that okay? You document. But you only document the positive things and not the negative things because maybe you want to avoid putting something in writing and the, you know, the employee is going to see it or someone else is going to see it and so forth. And this can also backfire even worse. And in the sense that what if, you know, it's, I, we've seen it many times, someone's not performing well, but they're accelerating, excelling in other areas, but it's only documenting the positives. And then eventually something comes to a head. You have to terminate them for bad for performance. You get sued because of wrongful termination for because whatever reason. And now they look at their personnel file with all these reviews. They're all positive, 10 out of 10. Now what are you going to do? And, yeah. and so like this goes to your question, like again, like what would you, would you rather have the documentation that is all good with no negatives and, and when in actuality that, that, that uh, person had poor performance or no documentation at all? And now I'm going to yeah. write my answer down. I'm recording this, so I don't have a pen here. So I'll put it in my, let's see here. Okay, what's your answer? 
Uh, well, I'm trying to think what I've. I don't like either one, so. Okay, well then, just make up. Just let's just throw away the rules and just make up your own own scenario. That's fine. I'm trying to find the lesser I don't know what we're doing evils. here. I, I, I guess I would rather have the non-documented bad performance because at least that way I could say something that it was bad performance as opposed right. to having everything in writing where it's like, like you said, 10 out of 10 across the board. It's like, well, we'll fine you because you're bad. So, well, this says <laughs> otherwise. That's because that's no, all discoverable if, there, if there's a claim. Nope, that's the correct answer. So, uh, two points for you. Um, absolutely, and and not only that is, I also thought of another reason to document is, what if the people or persons that are actually uh, the direct report of that of that hire are no longer working with the company for whatever reason, right? Or what if that employee goes from that uh, subject to termination is being supervised by one party, but then a, a year later by another party and that previous supervisor or manager is no longer with the company, right? It's, it, this is this happens all the time. And if you don't have that history and so forth, in fact, not too long ago, I was just reviewing a, a particular case where um, there was a lot of movement of this employee. And I asked the question like, hey, was there any history of X with this particular employee? And the person I talked to said, no. I'm like, okay. And then I started digging into the personnel files and I realized, it's the complete opposite. In actuality, um, they have a long history of this, but they've only been working with that particular person for a short period of time. And so, of course, they weren't aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point, too. It's, uh, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of good reasons to document these sort of things. Um, but I guess it goes back to my answer a little bit ago, too. It's, I guess, at least if you have a second person in there who is witness to, some sort of performance where at least you could possibly lean on that. Still not ideal. Yeah. But you yeah. know, best case is document and then document accurately. You know, you don't it's not a not everything has to be a positive thing. If you know, if you have negative comments or constructive criticism, those need to be documented as well. I I was just about to go, you know, kind of wrap up the episode, but I gotta mention one more thing too. I always I, I, I forgot about this. Uh you not only you have to document the things that are not comfortable to document too. And what I mean by that is what if someone in the office uses some kind of racial epithet or they make some kind of off-color joke inappropriately, obviously. So now you don't ignore that, number one. You have to address it, but you also have to document. You document that but also document the training and the um, kind of uh, the disciplinary actions that you take afterwards, especially if they're in a managerial or supervisory position. And so again, that's a, this is a means for for you to protect protect you as a as an employer. If if a person has a history of this, according to other employees, and you're not documenting it, and then you're not doing anything about it, that could also uh, hurt you in the long run. Yeah, that's the. Uh, I think that's the Michael Scott. Uh, I, I, right yeah, there. I, I learned that from Michael Scott actually. <laughs> um, that is that is our one office reference for the episode. 
Yeah. Congratulations to us. We met our we quota. Get better quota. I think we're about 300 some episodes in a row for that. So perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so, okay. So we have five blunders. Um, there's more and we can come up with more, but those are the kind of the, the, the highlights uh, that we see quite a bit. And I think the big takeaway from each of these things, and I think hopefully this, this uh, resonates with everybody, it just requires mere diligence, care. You have to, look, we, we all, look, I, I'm a business owner. We all spend a lot of time on our business, right? But sometimes it's harder to focus on the things that are going to try to, um, you know, protect your business from growth rather than just growing the business itself. And so reading contracts, uh, documenting these things that uh, for terminations, you know, reading every line of, of these agreements that you're signing, these are things that require time, diligence, and effort. And hey, look, if you, <laughs> if you don't, if you want to kind of drive blindly and do that, you're welcome to do so. But Hire an attorney, you know, have some counsel with you or or drive a Tesla because it's auto, right? Auto, do you like that? Auto drive? <laughs> Autopilot? Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's going too far. Um, but but you get my point. I mean, the I think the analogy fits a little bit here is in the sense that you you have to you have to drive with your eyes open. Um, if you can get some assistance, even better. Right, um, and leave it to the professionals. But you do have to spend the time, and you know, look, some people don't have the time, and that's where that's where we come in. Right. It's uh, I agree. It's all it's all preparation at the end of the day, and you know, you, you need to make sure that you know you make your decisions. You're you're not a what's the phrase? Uh, you don't um, you don't want to you don't want to. Where's the beef? You don't want to shoot then aim, right? Is that the phrase? I don't know. Something like that. You want to? Oh, you you want to measure twice and cut once? That works. I don't know. All right, that, that, that works not, too. I'm just throwing idioms out now. I don't know if that fits or not. But yeah, I mean, that, that's at the end of the day, that's it. It's you know, you you want to do as much uh, preparation and planning as you can because these are all like these are all blunders that are easily preventable if you put in the time and make sure that. They don't become an issue. Um, like I said, you know, we don't want to. And the easy answer is always just talk to competent counsel too. But yeah, you know, that's that's only that's only one piece of the pie. Mm, pie. Um, sorry, I got distracted there. Okay, so before we end, I want to just give a quick reminder that you guys have to follow us on our different social media channels. This is where we have an opportunity to engage with you guys. If you have suggestions on other topics. If you have some more blunders that we want, you want to talk, you want us to have talk about. Um, we did five. There's plenty more. So if you want to add anything to that, we are at Pasha Law on Instagram and on Facebook on some other things too. That I'm, I just forgot the other social media channels, but pretty much all of them. LinkedIn. That's right. Uh, is we're, we're, we're big on that as well. And and also don't forget. There's also opportunities there through our website or through the social media channels to actually subscribe uh, to our newsletter. And our newsletter, we like to push out different updates uh, in the news. Of course, if we have new content, we'll also push that out. But any kind of like, for example, uh, especially last year, every single update when it came to PPP loans and 
these kinds of things we were pushing out as it goes uh, or COVID and these kind of different um, uh, uh, restrictions and uh, things like that when as it applies to businesses. So we try to keep up to date uh, as things go on. Yeah, it's uh, all the ways to find us. Now, are you subscribed, Matt? You should definitely subscribe if you're not. I, I think I'm subscribed across all, all mediums. I'll check though. Okay, I'll perfect. confirm that. Well, I'll, I will make sure. I'll follow up with you. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for joining us. Yeah. And, uh, keep it smart. Keep it sound. Oh, that's the blunder for that's us. That's a blunder. Keep, keep it that's sound. That's a blooper, keep it actually. That, that, you're right. That is a blooper. Sorry. <laughs> that's it, a blooper. Okay. Keep it sound. Keep it smart. You just listened to Legally Sound Smart Business with Asar Pasha and Matt Staub. For more information about the podcast, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. This podcast is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening to or engaging with the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice but rather is produced for entertainment and educational purposes only. Do not rely on the information on this podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and does not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. This podcast may contain portrayals of clients by non-clients, reenactment of scenes, and persons which are not actual or authentic, and depictions which are a dramatization.